Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda and Dundalk. Our Dacia 211 pre-order sale is now on. Test drive a brand new Dacia today. Fantastic APR, no deposit and deferred monthly payments. Check out blackstonemotors.ie for details on our amazing new car offers. You're very welcome to Tuesday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us once again on the show. Lots of chat to come over the next couple of hours. Great music too, and all we need is you. Don't forget the numbers if you want to get in touch with us on the show. 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me. Or if you'd like to call in, it's 1850-715-958. Did you notice in your area, because it is a fact, the increase in the number of rodents that have appeared uh, last year up over 20 percent? New findings? Well, we're talking about rats and mice and infestations later on in the show with Richard Faulkner from Rent-A-Kill. John Lowe, the money doctor, is with us. No better time to review your finances and make a plan for the year ahead then right now, and John is the man to guide us. He'll be with us on the show after two. We've more besides, but we begin today with a regular guest of ours. I thought of the uh, old saying today before I speak to him of a week being a long time in politics. Now, it's been three weeks since I spoke to Professor Paul Miner, head of the Department of Biology and director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. Paul, happy new year to begin. Yes, you too, Jerry. Hope you had a, a good break over the Christmas and yeah, Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Well, Paul, I had indeed, I have to say, but little did I expect we'd be coming back talking in the terms we're going to talk for the next while. My, oh my, Paul, in three weeks, the situation with COVID, it really has deteriorated. As you know, we're back in level five, could be even more restrictions on the way. Are you surprised? Well, certainly taken taken off, taken off dramatically and in the wrong direction, as you say, Um I think especially over the, the last week, if you look at numbers, number of cases, hospitalizations, ICUs, and the latter two are obviously the concerning ones in terms of you know people ending up in the hospital very severely ill, and ultimately, unfortunately, some of them are going to translate into deaths. In terms of whether I'm surprised or not, to some degree, I think we're all surprised in terms of the magnitude of it, the size of it. I, I don't think anybody really could have predicted uh, this level. But but one of the things I I'd say that I have noticed, and you know, probably hasn't received much commentary. I think at this stage it's clear that this is going to be and probably will be a seasonal virus. So if you look um, last, when it appeared last March, and then it sort of disappeared, not disappeared, but within quite low levels around May, June time. And then for a number of months over the summer, we were in a pretty good place. And then it really took off again in the autumn time. And if you look at respiratory viruses, this is what they do. They're seasonal and the peak months are sort of November to March. And within that period, December, January tend to be the peak months. So I think that's a big contributing factor, a big contributing factor in terms of those months. The virus, respiratory viruses transmit better at those uh, times of the year. Put that then in the mix with 
probably over the Christmas period more socialization. I've heard some measures of, you know, contacts, you know, 25, 30. That, that's bad news in terms of when you're looking at a virus and trying to limit its transmission. And then in terms of potentially the contribution we don't know as of yet in terms of this variant that you and your listeners may have heard about from the UK that seems to transmit better, at least it's become a quite prominent variant in certain parts of England. It is here. We know it's here. Now, whether that's contributing to the spread or not, the National Virus Reference Lab and Killian de Gascon has said that it is here, but that it probably hasn't made a big contribution as of yet. But again, that sampling was very low numbers, so we would need to still need to see more data on that to see if the variant is actually contributing and I wouldn't be surprised probably if it is contributing so all that mix of factors I think Jerry you've arrived at the perfect storm and then suddenly you know it's sort of gone out of control we're dealing with hundreds of cases now into you know five six seven thousand cases per day which is frightening not only in terms of cases but that you know with the lag period that those high numbers are going to translate into increased hospitalizations and ICUs and unfortunately deaths as well. You're talking about the variant there in the UK. There's also a couple of variants you probably know about in South Africa at the moment yeah. and teams uh, are working on this there quite intensely at the moment. Are you confident that the vaccines being rolled out at the moment will be able to deal with COVID regardless of what variation is found? Yeah, I think so, Jerry. I'd be reasonably confident that, again, it's not going to bypass the, the vaccine. So really, again, just for context, all of the vaccines to date are based around this spike protein on the outside of the virus, and we end up making antibodies against that. And when we talk about these variants, these variants have mutations in the gene that makes that spike protein, sort of a slightly different spike protein. But again, these mutations are in small regions of the protein. Now, some of those regions, yeah, will be recognised by the antibodies that we've raised in response to, to the vaccine. And because they're a little bit different, those antibodies may not work as well. But remember, when you get the vaccine, you generate lots of different antibodies against different parts of the spike protein. So again, I would be surprised, I'd be, more, I'd be hopeful, quite optimistic that the uh, vaccine, again, wouldn't be bypassed by, by these variants. Now, lockdown is in, level five, up until the end of January. And there's a big debate, Paul, going on today about schools and school holidays being extended to the end of the month, perhaps into February, to the end of this term in school. What's your opinion on, on the closure of schools? My, my own personal view, Jerry, is that schools should be the last thing to close and probably the first to open. So that's sort of the context sort of I come from in terms of that when you close schools, you know, Children lose so much. And again, it's not sort of all children are affected in the same way, especially in terms of socioeconomic background, in terms of the impact of schools closing. I think there's an enormous sort of inequality there and the supports that uh, children get. So that's sort of my starting point. But also you have to take the context now where the community uh, transmission is so high. So even though children, and we know that children don't transmit it, they do transmit, but not to the same level as adults. So there's no doubt if the community transmission is so high that there will be some transmission and that will be augmented then in, in the schools. So I can understand why, and I think the Cabinet is uh, considering it today in terms of schools are closed till next Monday. And I wouldn't be surprised, Jerry, if they continue to be closed for uh, a number of weeks. But again, I wouldn't like to see that over a prolonged time period. I think we need to be responsive and agile to that so that as numbers drop, we certainly look at schools as being the first to open. 
You mentioned to me before Christmas that once we got the vaccine into the nursing homes, the staff there who care for people, frontline health workers and the other vulnerable categories, that the situation would change dramatically. Now, let's talk about the vaccines and the vaccination programme for for the moment, because, Paul, this is what this government and everybody is going to be judged on. Can I ask you, firstly, have we access to sufficient doses? I think ultimately over time we'll have access to sufficient doses, Jerry. but the, the key question is how fast are we going to receive them? So that, that's the key point at this stage. I think, you know, if you're talking late on in the summer, we probably will have plenty of vaccines. But we're now faced with a problem where the numbers are going so high, we obviously want to vaccinate as quickly as possible. To, su- to some degree, we're limited because these deals with the vaccine companies have been done at an EU level. So, again, we're getting this uh, as part of that deal and we're getting the numbers in proportion to our population. So I think at the moment for January and February, we're scheduled to get about 40,000 per week, which is still a relatively low number. That will ramp up. There's a second vaccine that will probably be likely approved later on this week, uh, the Moderna vaccine, which is very like the Pfizer one. So that should increase uh, supply as well. So it all depends on how quickly we get them in. And obviously, it's really important as soon as we get them in that we distribute and vaccinate uh, as quickly as possible. So it all depends on supply. And there's some uh, uncertainty there, not so much uncertainty, but lack of detail there are indicative dates from Pfizer, for example, in terms of their, their rate of supply. But again, we haven't seen all the details on that, and that probably would be helpful. But there's no doubt about it, Jerry. Vaccination, speed of vaccination is absolutely essential in terms of getting this, this under control. Now, when you talk about speed and getting it out there, what are you talking about, Paul? Are you looking at GPs, pharmacies who do the flu jab at the moment, specialised vaccination centres regionally or even within counties? What would your uh, plan be? What would you like to see implemented? I think initially the focus is going to be on those that are most vulnerable. So, for example, in the um, healthcare homes, nursing homes and the staff and the healthcare workers. And I think that's probably the right thing to do because they're at most risk. So obviously that will dictate in terms of where they are and where they are located. Then we will move in time over to GPs, uh, pharmacies, probably mass vaccination centres. I think that will will develop over time. I think a more pertinent discussion now, Jerry, is, and you may have seen a lot some of this and come across some of this in the media in terms of in the early stages where you have limited supply of the vaccine. How do you use that to its maximal effect? And there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of debate, a lot of controversy. For example, the UK have decided to, the, the, the vaccine that they're currently using is the Pfizer one, which is the one that we have. And that's recommended as a two-dose uh, regimen. So we get dose one, and then four weeks later, get the second dose. In the UK, they decided to split that and prolong the interval between the two doses, the 12 weeks, to try to vaccinate more and get more people with the first dose as soon as possible. And again, that's something that normally as a scientist, you would look at the trials, the trials data and the data that's been provided by the manufacturers with respect to the trials and follow that really, really closely. And to a degree, Jerry, probably over the last week, I've probably changed my mind on that. If you spoke to me maybe a week ago, I'd have said, no, definitely we should stick to that regimen four weeks apart. But then suddenly you're looking at these figures. And when you look at the data in terms of how you're protected when you get the vaccine, when you get it with the first dose, you probably see about an 80% protection after the first dose, maybe 10 to 14 days after the first dose. And then with the second dose, that goes up to about 95% protection. So then you're faced with this dilemma. So if you have a limited supply of vaccine, 
to use vaccinate as many as possible with a first dose and get about 80% protection? Or do you dedicate to two doses where you get 95% but in half the number of people? And their dilemma is that in an ideal world, Jerry, you would not consider deviating at all from the two-dose regimen where the trials have been shown because we don't know how long the protection with the first dose lasts for. So they're the type of questions and discussion and to a degree there's no right answer and there has to be judgment calls uh, made and under different circumstances you would rule out ever possibly considering some of the scenarios that you have to consider now. Mm. But there are some of the things and then other countries are looking at maybe slightly reducing the first dose uh, the, the, the how much you give to make your vaccine go further. There's a technical yeah. um, issue there in terms of maximising use of the vaccine. So when it comes in initially, it comes in in a concentrated form. So it's 0.3 mils. You put that up to 0.8 and you only use five of those doses and you're left really with 0.3 mils at the bottom of the vial, which is normally discarded. Should you use that actually for another person? So that would increase the availability by 20%. So there's all of these considerations that need to be looked at to try to maximise the effectiveness and the rollout of the vaccine. A lot of questions and a lot of decisions to be made for sure. But one thing is certain, like nine to, I was listening to somebody saying that it'd be nine to five Monday to Friday. It's got to be a seven day thing. And oh. I think that goes without saying, Paul. Oh, 20, 24-7, seven, seven days a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's got to be. Look, I have an interesting question here from David and Navin. He he's, yeah. uh, wants to know if it's going to take, would you ask Paul, please, if it's going to take up to a year to roll out the vaccine. What will happen this time next year when people perhaps need to be revaccinated and every year they're on, just like the flu jab, look at how we struggle with the flu jab at times to administer it and it's much smaller. An interesting question. Yeah, very good question, Jerry. Very good question. So if you look at the flu, the reason why we need to be vaccinated there each year is because the flu changes. The, vac- the virus itself changes. You know, it, it varies quite a lot. And you have different strains. So the strain that you were vaccinated against last year may be a different strain from what we have uh, this year. And that's the reason why. The coronaviruses, they, they don't mutate, they don't change as much as the flu virus. So the fact the vaccine against the coronavirus now, the SARS-CoV-2, will probably be effective uh, next year. But what we don't know is we don't know how long the immunity lasts for. So when you're vaccinated, how long does that immunity last for? And that will dictate how frequently you need the vaccines. So again, the data will become available over time. But unfortunately, we have to let those studies and time take over there to be able to study and to follow people who have been vaccinated very early on and follow them in terms of the antibodies that they have. And if they've still got protective immunity after one year, two years, three years. Very good study, Jerry, showing not with respect to vaccination, but we would think that vaccination will will operate in a similar way. Really good study out in a very prestigious journal last year, last week, New England Journal of Medicine. And what they looked at is looked at health workers in Oxford and followed them over an eight or nine month period and looked at healthcare workers who had been infected or not infected and followed them over an eight, nine month period and looked to see if they were prone to reinfection or new infection. And apart from two people that maybe showed signs of reinfection, but again, were completely asymptomatic. If you got a natural infection, you were protected for at least that eight to nine month period. And you would expect that the vaccine would probably work as well. And that's eight to nine months as far as we can measure. We would hope that it would go beyond that. So hopefully the protection from the vaccine would be longer than a long number of months and into years. But the frequency of the vaccination really depends, Jerry, in terms of how long the immunity lasts for when you get the vaccine. 
And that will only emerge with time, as you say. No alternative then, really, Paul, to level five with the numbers. Uh, it looks like that that was the only option. Lockdown seemed to be the only uh, weapon uh, that the government have. I said this to you before, and I'm going to ask it again, and I hope I never have to ask it of you again. If yeah. we knuckle down, which everybody should, now January, February, these couple of months, knuckle down hard, do as we're asked, and behave. Could this be the last time we'd have to face this scenario? I, I think, and again, this is just my own personal view, Jerry. So again, you may come back in about three or four months and say you're, you're completely wrong. But <laughs> I absolutely expect to be the case. My, my own view is that I think there's a big seasonality to this virus now. I think it transmits like many other respiratory viruses. I think those peak months is going to be sort of like November to March time. And within that period... Uh, December and January are very, very tough. And I think that's what we're seeing now. And in some ways, Jerry, the virus only arrived here about last February, March. I, I sometimes think that that's probably the tail end of what we're seeing now. You know, it's sort of peaking around now and then it'll tail off. So I think by the time you get seasonality will be our friend, whereas our, our enemy now, I think it's going to be our friend as we get into that sort of April, May uh, period. Vaccination is also going to help as well. And the other thing as well, your listeners should be aware of, these numbers are really scary. And the strange thing about the virus, you've heard of this or number of around one, when it's fluctuating around one, a small change in that kind of a dramatic effect because of this exponential pattern that you've probably heard lots about. And suddenly you can go up into these really high numbers, thousands. But again, if we get it under control, you can very quickly get those numbers down. The problem is with the high numbers, you can't undo the damage that is going to come down the line from those high numbers with hospitalizations and deaths, but we can try to reduce the numbers going forward. I also think that irrespective of whether we've lockdowns or lockdowns, ultimately it comes down to personal responsibility in terms of how we act. But I think almost at an individual level, we have to be able to try to judge our own risk and manage that risk. So if we go into environments where we're uncomfortable, that we think are unsafe, we should probably leave those environments. And unfortunately, I think if we if we do that, Jerry, that can go a long way to try to reduce the transmission and trying to get it under control again. I love the saying, hands, face and space, Paul. Wash the hands, cover the face and keep the space between us. Those three words, if we keep those in mind and do them, live them every single day, as you say there, we'll all be playing our part. We can all play our part in bringing these numbers back down. They are frightening, Paul, when you see it. I never thought I'd see these numbers, six, seven thousand a day. I don't think anybody, anybody did, Jerry, and I think it's taken people by by, by surprise in, in a big way, but... Imagine if we were having this conversation, Jerry, with no vaccine. You know, then yes. it would be a really big concern. We have something. So in terms of positivity, we have a, like a really powerful tool now that's going to help us, you know, to try to get this under control. And then with the help in terms of our behavior and other sort of non-pharmaceutical interventions and the likes and, you know, better treatments, um, I think it, it, it gives us, there's, there's reason to be hopeful there as well. I think we can look at these and get very scared and go into a panic mode and things like that. But I think looking at the long game, you know, I think there's lots of positivity there, but we need to get over this. It's obviously very difficult times, challenging times at the moment. So, and obviously with respect to the vaccine, because it's so such a powerful tool for us, we need to uh, roll that out as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Paul, very reassuring indeed. It's great to talk to you again and I can say for certainty we'll be having a chat uh, next week for sure. Paul, appreciate your company as usual. Anytime, Jerry. anytime. Take care. 
Thank you indeed. That's uh, Professor Paul Moyner there, Head of the Department of Biology and Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. And I just want to say this from a personal perspective about vaccines. And there are people concerned about vaccines. And I know there are questions, but I will say this to you. In in the world, vaccines have saved millions and millions of lives. Now, there have been issues here and there, but in the whole and in the main, vaccines have been mankind's best friend and will continue to be. And in my lifetime, I've received all the vaccines that I should have received, thanks to my late mother and father. And my children received their vaccines and my grandchildren now are receiving the vaccines that are recommended for them. And I'm a big advocate of vaccines. And I say to people, don't be afraid. The vaccines are our friends. We must get them. And the more of us that are vaccinated, the better for everybody right across Irish society. Still to come on the show, John Lowe, the money doctor, is with us after two o'clock today. And he's going to uh, work on a financial makeover for everybody. So if you have any questions for John, get them into us now. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text or 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. We have people asking about rodents already, messages coming. Coming to us about mice infestation in homes. Uh, there are people have problems with rats as well. We're talking to Richard Faulkner from Rent to Kill later on in the show. So if you have questions for him, same numbers again, and we'll put them to him. Uh, the birds. I wanted to mention the birds today because it's very cold. It really is. This weather's cold, and it's get even colder as the weekend approaches. And you know we love our wildlife on late lunch, especially our garden birds. And I was out feeding them again this morning, and I make a point of giving them some food every day. And I have a regular clientele, let me call you, of feathered friends who arrive into the garden. I have two lovely pigeons. We call them Peter and Paul. I saw a couple of little wrens there this morning, a grey wagtail. Our friend the robin is always there, blackbirds. Uh, I even saw a chaffinch uh, today and the crows, of course, and the gulls will be down when you put the food out. I don't like the big birds. I'd rather the little fellas get all the food. So I leave Messi out around the garden and he keeps watching. He runs the crows away and the other fellas get fed. It's a little tactic of mine. I'm just saying to you, the birds, feed the birds this weather. Look after them. If you have a bird table and feeders, keep them stocked up. I do a bit of ground feeding. You have to watch that as well with the rodents. We'll be talking about that too later on. But feed the birds. Do remember to feed them their feathered friends at this time of year. We're heading now to uh, news and weather at two o'clock. Back straight afterwards with the money doctor himself, John Lowe. Those Charlie's Angels, aren't they something else really? Do you remember Charlie's Angels on the television? Oh, it was a big show many moons ago and you, it was unmissable, I have to say. What about uh, Tanya Roberts? She was reported as having passed away yesterday, but she's not. Now, she's not too good, it has to be said. But do you remember her as a Charlie's Angel? She's been mentioned for other roles for sure. Or do you remember Chris Kelly? Sabrina and Jill, yes, the Charlie's Angels. Any memories of them? I remember them well. We wish Tanya Roberts well. Now, moving on on the show this afternoon, there is no better time to have a look at your finances than this very time of the year at the start of January. And there's no better man to put us right than the money doctor, John Lowe, and he's on the line. Good afternoon, John, and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you, Jay. Absolutely brilliant to be talking to you again. I didn't actually know that you were now doubling up as a weatherman. <laughs> <laughs> you were very good, by the way. You were very good. 
<laughs> Thank you so much, John. We must uh, we must pass that responsibility to you, please, God, whenever you manage or you're allowed to visit us again in Drogheda. I'll keep you to that one. I'll let you read the weather on the show, I promise. You. Oh, anyway, thanks for the compliments. Thanks indeed, John. Anyway, John, can we kick straight in uh, to the uh, financial advice you're going to give us at the start of a new year? Can I begin with savings? And I'll tell you, this morning, just interestingly, John, popped up on my browser a crowd called Raisin.ie and they're yes. offering a return on uh, savings, John. What's this all about? Uh, it's a German uh, outfit who have basically uh, cobbled uh, all the kind of European banks on various countries to try and, and elicit uh, the kind of the best rates going. But Jerry, you know, you're talking, can I, can I put it in pounds, shillings and pence to you? Um, first of all, because it's outside of Ireland, there's no dirt tax. So, mm. the, as you know, if you have money here in, a, in your deposit account, wherever it is, except if it's in the state savings, um, then you are subject to deposit interest retention tax dirt, as it's known. Um, when you put it outside of Ireland, uh, you're then subject to uh, income tax because it's your, the, the interest that you're earning on that money is actually uh, earned income, and therefore your worldwide income is taxable. It's taxable, Jerry, at your rate of tax. And if you're on the 40% tax rate, plus PRSI, plus universal social charge, you're looking at roughly 48.75% of the interest you'd have to pay to the Irish government to have money abroad. So the best rate, I looked at that um, kind of uh, website, and I saw their best three-year rate is one17 I, I didn't go up and down the street with excitement at the idea of a rate of 1.17% cherry, um, mm. because if you take out the 48.75% uh, tax on that, you're left with 0.599625%, which is 0.6% basically. So pit that against the very best three-year rate here in Ireland, which sadly is only 0.33%, and that's from AIB Bank. Um, take a dirt tax off that, you're left with 0.2211%, which roughly you're, you're, you're saving a third of 1% by moving it to Europe. Okay. I don't think it's worth it, personally. All right. That's that's good to hear. Now, here's the thing. So basically what you're saying, if you look at the rates being offered here in Ireland as well, they're negligible. There is really little money to be made on putting money on deposit. Save the state savings. There's still a return on state savings, even though it's small. And I see they're about to uh, revise them down again, John, it looks like. It is, yeah. I'll give you, again, the lowdown on that because if you pardon the expression. The 10-year National Solidarity Bond which is the NTMA, the National Treasury Management Agency. A lot of people think it's a post office bond, but it's the NTMA. And uh, they have a suite of, of investments called the state savings. And the best of them is this 10-year national solidarity bond. It's government-backed, so it's guaranteed by the government. You get 16% into your fist at the end of 10 years. So if you went to uh, you know Bank of Ireland or AIB and said, here's 100,000, give me 116,000, in 10 years' time, because they have to do the dirt, they have to give a rate every year of 2.31%. And that's gross. Gross. Okay. So you can see how much better. That's double the rate of that three-year deposit rate that's been, uh, you know, uh, advertised by Raisin. Yes. 
Okay, so sure. that's a good option if you're willing to tie your money up for 10 years. It's state guaranteed yeah. and it's a decent return of 16%. If now, you're not... Say, is... Just finally, finally, just on that, Jerry, just to finish, I'm sorry to cut across you, but if uh, the maximum, of course, is uh, 120000 per person. Um, okay. But if you decide, say, you put 120000 then after two years, you want twenty grand, uh, you can take it out, uh, seven days' notice, no problem, um, but you lose the interest on that amount you take out. So you defeat the purpose of putting it in there in the first place. Okay, okay, but you can access it. That's the thing. So yeah. where else? If, if, I know you're a great advocate of the prize bonds, and I just see there's billions has gone into prize bonds in the last year. It's safe, it's secure, and you're in a chance of uh, winning the draw. Jerry, let me tell you a good story. This is uh, I believe it's true, right? But last May, there was a gentleman who was made redundant. And sadly, by the way, next this year, you know, because of COVID, there will be a lot of redundancy, sadly, in this country. But this gentleman was made redundant last May, and he got 40,000. So he didn't know what to do with it, but he had to think about what his next plan was. He's a relatively young man in his 40s. You know, so, uh, and, you know, compared to me, he's a young man. <laughs> anyway, so he, uh, he, he got the 40,000. He decided to put it into prize bonds. Now, he knew, number one, that you had to leave it there for three months. You couldn't touch it. Number two, that after three months, he'd have to give seven days' notice uh, to take it all out. But he also knew it was guaranteed by the government again. Fabulous. So the other thing he knew was that from day one, he was going to be put into the draw. A week later, Jerry, he won a million. Ah, oh. oh, isn't that fantastic, John? I'm delighted <laughs> to hear that. And, yeah, he, still and made that... he still can't take out his, he couldn't take out his uh, 40,000, but he won, he won a million. <laughs> I love it. So look, at prize bonds are safe and secure and you're in a chance of winning prizes. Mm. There's a draw every month and, and you're, I know, a fan of them. Now, come away from cash and deposits for a moment yeah. for me. Yeah. Talk to me about, I see property in 2020, on average rose 6 to 7% nationally. If somebody's looking for a, an investment, what about property? Jerry, I'll tell you this, the very best investment of all of them, the best asset class of all of them, without a shadow of a doubt, over any period of time, is the stock market. And Warren Buffett, remember what he said, the stock market is a mechanism for transferring wealth from the impatient to the patient. Tesla shares, by the way, in the last mm, five weeks has gone up 25% in the last five weeks. But yeah. that's just that's a mugs game, individualizing yeah. stock collection. What the best thing to do is that there are a number of, in fact, all the insurance companies offer managed funds, and I like managed funds, as you know, simply yeah. because there's thousands of shares in each fund. So you've got one to seven. The lower the number, the lower the risk. In number one, you've got cash. In number two, you've got government bonds. Very little growth. Go up the other end. Number seven, you've got Asian emerging markets. You've got in number six, technology stocks, energy stocks. So you've got really um, the more risk kind of stocks at the, at the top end. And you can take out all these risk questionnaires to find out where your attitude of risk is. But essentially, if you want any kind of growth, you've got to uh, go up the higher numbers. I'll give you one prime example. A lady uh, who came to me eight years ago with uh, 212,000, uh, she put it into an ARF. And she had a pension uh, already, so she didn't, uh, uh, you know, she was 65 
And so she had to take out 4% a year because she put it into an R. And she also knew that there was about 1.5% um, kind of annual management charges. So that was fine as well. And so 5.5% was coming out every year. And last January, she rang me and says, John, some of my friends seem to be getting a better return than me. I said, well, listen, let me, as, as I did every year, go through it again. And, we, and I advise properly. So I said, well, you brought to me eight years ago 212000 you have been taken out four and a half percent for the first five years, or four percent and one and a half percent. And since you turned seventy three years ago, you've been taken out five and five percent and one and a half percent. That's six and a half percent. So over that eight year period, you've had a total of ninety four thousand taken out of your funds. I said, how much do you think is left? So she looked at me and said, ah, about one hundred and thirty. I said, no, two hundred and twenty six thousand. You've got 14,000 more in your fund than you gave me eight years ago, and you took out 94,000. And that's because, Jerry, she didn't go the normal route for a 65 year old, which is, you know, safe, you know, conservative funds. She went up the lane. She went up four, five, and six in her case. And that's yeah. she got the growth. Those people who, who lost money 12 years ago, if they had sat on the couch and done nothing, all is, is back. All that, those funds are back, bar the bank shares. They're the only ones that never came back. Those people who panicked last year, who panicked last March, last March even, they panicked. It's all back and more. So, so you know, over any period of time, the stock market is definitely going to be better than property, better than any of, you know, people say bricks and mortar is great. It's hassle. It's pure hassle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. So look, uh, managed funds are the way to go and there's plenty of them about and I know if people get in touch with you, Money Doctor, uh, you have a suite that you do recommend yourself. Now, look, before time beats us, that's on the investment side. What about borrowings, John? Switching mortgages, you should always be on the ball with this again this year round? Oh, gosh, absolutely, Joe. I can't can't stress enough um, the fact that it's better in your pocket. This is all about getting value. As you know, Jerry, I am passionate about helping people to better manage their money. And this is a really a, a good time uh, at the start of the year, you know, do a, do a budget. In fact, uh, I'll offer your listeners and anybody else uh, a free budget planner spreadsheet. This is a really useful uh, exercise because it's easy to operate, simple to understand, and it has all the categories to top itself up. And all you have to do is just populate the field. So you've got a TV license, it's 160. Um, divide that by 12, it's 13 euros, 33 cents. Now you don't have to worry when that comes in because you provide for that on your budget from your income. You know, if you put your, you talk about income and income would include things like children's allowance. Uh, your child benefit is 140 a month. You start saving that 140 a month if you can. Very, very few families can. Uh, from the time the child is born till it stops the 18th birthday, you're talking about 28,560 euros, Jerry. Uh, that's the total you would have saved without any interest. You are still 14,000 shy of sending that same child to third level. Mm. And the reality is that you know if you do that budget, you will find whether you have a surplus or a deficit. And it's really important if you have a surplus, that is what you plan with. It's so important to plan, like planning your third level education, planning your the bubble to the PCP car loan, your your holidays, your main holidays in, in the summer, wherever we get back to holidays. Yeah. You know, all of those things is, is so important. Um, but borrowing, as I said, and especially after Christmas, I, I'll just give you a, a quick incident of a loan of 2,000 euro and the differential between it. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the credit unions. 
Um, they're, they're in a little bit of trouble at the moment because people are not borrowing enough from them. But, you know, the average rate, say, 6.9% for a 2012-month loan, people who haven't been able to, maybe you have their savings or whatever happened to Christmas, they didn't, own, they didn't have their own resources. So that 2,000 loan over 12 months, that 6.9%, Jerry, is 172 euros a month. Now, if that same person decides not to go to the credit union, but go to one of these authorised money lenders, now authorised, not unauthorised, and there are 36 of them on the central bank register that are authorised by the central bank, the rate is 187%. And that same 2,000 loan over 12 months will cost you €378 a month. My, that is a just an enormous difference. Over two hundred euro a month. It's crazy. Go to your credit yeah. union. They are great friends of everybody yeah. and always have yeah. been. Credit cards as well. If you're stuck with a big debt on your credit card, go for a credit union well, loan. Clear it off. It's cheaper. Well, even better, Jerry. Even better. There are four uh, credit card providers that will take your balance as long as you have a half decent record uh, and you can afford to really pay it off. So, say you had a twelve hundred, uh, uh, you know, just round it off. A twelve hundred euro loan and uh, or a credit card balance, uh, you could transfer it to say the likes of um, you know permanent TSB or KBC. They give you six months. Bank of Ireland will give you seven months at zero percent. By the way, zero percent. So you pay two hundred a month on post money. Um, brought out their credit card uh, about a year and a half ago, and they have a twelve month transfer balance, which is absolutely brilliant. So that twelve hundred, you're paying a hundred euros a month. At the end of twelve months. Your credit card is debt-free. It's fantastic. Yeah, so there are many options there. So look at transferring. Look at transferring if you can, rather than get out another loan. Because if you can pay off that 100 a month uh, over a 12-month period, it's far better. At 0%, there's no interest. Mm. Uh, It's far better than going and getting a, a loan, even though we want to help the credit unions. So look, at just to summarise in the borrowings, review the mortgages, switch if it's better, uh, credit cards, uh, switch if you have to there, the credit union is there, if you have a financial situation and you want to deal with it, don't go to the registered uh, money lenders. Last word today, pensions, still a good investment, John. Oh my God, Jerry, I could talk forever on pensions. You know, we do have a problem, as you know. I'm, I mean, I've said it before, like in less than 20 years' time, I think that state pension will be abolished. Um, so uh, I was quoted actually during the year, a 26-year-old girl came into my office at the start of the year and she wanted to set up a pension. And, uh, and, she, and, I said, and this was quoted in the national newspaper. She was visibly upset at the end of this uh, little consultation at the idea that she'd missed out on two years' uh, pension contributions. Can you believe that? Mm. She, because, uh, you know, I, not so much that I had put the fear of God in her, but um, it was the idea that she, she realized that she has to actually make sure that she has a pension. She can't rely on the government to have a, make a, uh, have a pension in 40-odd years when she does look to retire. Yes, so it and really it's, is important. You know, half the, less than half the, the country have their own pension. And, yeah, uh, and it so is tax efficient. You will gain tax-wise on this. There's a great incentive there from the government to invest in pensions. And John can tell you more about that. Just on the budget, people are asking you, how can they get hold of this budget you're uh, offering free? Well, you can just write to the email me, jlo at moneydoctors.ie, uh, or even on the website, there's loads of portals to, to access me. But uh, once you write to me, I will send you that free budget plan of spreadsheet. It's fantastic. It'll start you off. I can tell you yeah. that much. It'll yeah, start no, it's your, terrific. your whole year off. 
Yeah. So that's JLo at moneydoctors.ie or check out John's uh, phone number and all his details are there. And his new book, Money Doctors 2021, is in the shops. It's the financial Bible. You've got to have it. It's the one that will guide you right through the years. The big yellow book in the shop. Go and get it in your local bookstore <laughs> or order it online as well. And one last thing before we go. A fellow called yeah. Paddy Goodwin has just WhatsApped me and he wants to know how are Spurs shares on the stock exchange? Well, you don't have to answer that. I'm going to answer it. Mr. Goodwin. <laughs> they are flying. They're a top stock at the moment. John, God bless you. Happy New Year. Listen, thank you so much, Jerry, and uh, Happy New Year to you. Take care of yourself. John Lowe, The Money Doctor. Good man, Eamon. Always on the ball, Eamon Doyle, that's for sure. Yes, brings back the memories, doesn't it? The theme song from Charlie's Angels. And... Uh, just uh, thinking more about them there as that was playing. Of course, you had Kate Jackson, Farrah Fawcett. Uh, she was known as Farrah Fawcett Majors and Jacqueline Smith with the original three uh, angels in the series. So they were, oh, everybody, listen, everybody in our group were just mad about Farrah Fawcett, weren't we? Oh, listen, she was the poster girl of the time, the blonde hair, the tan, you name it. And uh, believe it or not, it first aired in 1976, September 76, and it ran to June 81. Five seasons, 115 episodes, and it was really, really popular. It really was at the the time and we were uh, talking and we're talking about Charlie's Angels in the context of uh, Tanya Roberts, another angel who was reported to have passed away yesterday, but is alive at this point in time. And again, uh, we wish her well. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Coming up shortly on the show, mods. Were you ever a mod? Yes. Do you remember the mods? Did you dress like a mod? Were you part of a mod gang? Well, we're having a chat with Paul Davis in a wee while, and he's written a new book, and can he write about it? Because he is someone who was involved in the mod era in Dublin in the 80s, and is steeped in the tradition, and he's brought out this brilliant book about him. We're talking to him in a wee while. So were you a mod? Do you remember the mods? What... Uh, they were like, you know what I'm talking about? There's people remember mods. It was mods and rockers. Do you remember this big rivalry between the two? But the mods, you know, it started back in the late 50s. They were called modernists and into the 60s. And then they had a revival in the 70s and again in the 80s. The motorbikes, do you remember them? The Vespas, the hairstyles, the dress. Oh, yes. Memories, memories coming up on late lunch after half past two today. And a little later on, we are talking about rodents. There's an infestation. It's gone up. There's a lot of rats and mice about at this time of the year, more than ever. And we're talking to Richard Faulkner after three o'clock on the show. But taking us to our next break at 2.30. Stay with us on late lunch. Lots to talk about. And if you want to get involved, remember the numbers. 086-1800-658. Question there from a listener about a check they're holding with an amount of money on it. I take it it's made out to yourself and what to do with it. Well, really, you've got to get to a bank and got to get it deposited or cashed or something like that because uh, I'm not sure now, uh, is there an expiry date on checks? You know the way vouchers have a five-year time frame on them now. I must check that out, to be honest with you. How long is a check good or valid for? Can anyone help me on that? Uh, if you can, 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show or 1850-715-958. If you'd like to call in and I'll pass the info on to that listener there. Now, my next guest on the show this Tuesday afternoon emigrated from 
from Coolock in County Dublin to Dulik in County Meath in 2006. Since the 1980s, he's been a DJ and promoter on the Dublin mod and soul scene. Uh, he's written his first book. He's an author now. His name is Paul Davis. And the book is called Out of Time, a fictional work about what he knows best. And he's on the line. Good afternoon, Paul. Hi, you doing, Jerry? Thank you for joining me on the show. Well, let me say this to you first. Congratulations. I have been looking at the reception uh, for your book and there are many wonderful, wonderful reviews. And one of them says in particular, the commitments meets love, hate. That's some... Uh, Kudos. Yeah, um, I was I was extremely happy with that one. Um, it's uh, well, Roddy Doyle would have been one of my kind of literary heroes, um, and I just love the way he writes, and he writes about Dublin people. So, um, you know, to be compared to him, and you know, obviously the the writing in um, in Love Hate is fantastic too. So, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of like it's a, it's a mixture of kind of uh, music and fun and you know there's the menace of the whole gangster thing thrown into it as well so Mm. no it's been really well received and it's flying along for you i know you self-published yes um i went through a a kindle direct publishing um amazon do a thing where you can um you you upload your your manuscript and your uh your cover artwork um, the cover of which of the book was done by a good friend of mine, Sean Bracebridge. He's a, a he's a an illustrator from Balbriggan. So yeah, you, you just upload it, and then uh, once it goes live, people you know you start sharing the link, and people start buying it. So yeah, and they have been buying it. The other thing is though, uh, maybe there was a little bit sweet in this year because I do know after you self published, you had an almost immediate approach from a, a significant publisher in London to publish the book for you. Can you still go down that road? Um, I, I probably could, but um, it's it, I won't go through the kind of terms and conditions that uh, yeah were, were kind of set out for me. But um, at the, at the the time. It was it was it was not walkable from okay. to go that route. So uh, the Amazon one is, you know, that's working out okay at the moment. And uh, who knows what might happen in the future? You know, I know a lot yeah. of people don't like to buy from Amazon, but um, sometimes you know you have to kind of go that way just to kind of get it out there. And sure, we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. That's for another day. Your phone is clicking a bit there at, at the moment. Are you doing something with it there? It's just a little clicky, whatever. And maybe it's just on the line that we're talking. Anyway, look, let's move on and talk about the uh, uh, the book itself. You were familiar with the scene, very familiar with the 80s in Dublin. How big were the mods and, and, and the soul aspect of music in the context of the overall music scene at that stage? Uh, well, back in the 80s, uh, very much unlike today, there were kind of different scenes, you know, um, based around music. There was, you know, you'd have uh, mods, you'd have skinheads, new romantics. Um, there was a lot of punks kind of still around in the 80s. Uh, goths, all that kind of thing, you know, people that were into The Cure and Bob Marley and all that. And, you know, when when you were kind of, when you kind of going around schoolyards, because when, when I was, well, 15 at the time, um, in the mid-80s, Everybody was kind of in their different groups and and dressed accordingly based on the music type they were listening to, and the mod uh, the mod scene was fairly 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 big uh, in the mid eighties, and the the club that the the uh, book is set around Bubbles was an actual club in Adair Lane just behind the behind Fleet Street, and yes. uh, there was a, a massive massive. Uh, 
contingent of mods would go there and you know there was a lot of mod rallies around the country and that kind of thing you know scooter rallies they drive off to to Waterford and Tremor and, and Bray and, and where what have you on their scooters and uh, just kind of dance and listen to the music and it was it was mm. fairly it was very very big and I know oh, there, was yeah. there was a fairly, fairly big mod scene in um, in up around Drogheda and Dundalk as well at the time yeah yeah, yeah, no, it was widespread around the country, not just Dublin. And those scooters, the Vespas and the Lambrettas, all oh, they're beautiful. I have to say, I love them. When you're talking about music, who were the main, you know, the the big, uh, the big turns, the big acts, the big groups that you know people wanted to hear? Well, I'd say probably the biggest um, mod group would have been the Small Faces. Mm. Um, the Who were very popular as well, but kind of the Who were a group that um, were made mods by their current, by their then manager to appeal to the mod market, but the small faces were actually mods before they became a band. And yeah. uh, they, they would be, you know, kind of, they, they'd be the biggest mod band uh, yeah. when, when it comes to mods. What about yeah. Style Council, The Jam, Specials? Yeah, um, the Style Council, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of mods were into The Jam and then kind of moved on to in, onto Style Council after The Jam split up and... Uh, you know, in in the book, it's it's kind of all based on the music that was played in and around Bubbles at the time. So we would have been still dancing to the specials and the beat and madness and you know the Style Council and the Jam and then a lot of uh, Motown and Northern Soul as well. Yeah, and I mentioned like about the the different uh, groups, and you said they, people were in their groups and they identified by their clothing, their their hairstyles, etc. Was there rivalry? You know, we always heard, and it's in my mind that there were clashes with mods and rockers. Was that part and parcel of life in Dublin and Ireland as well? Well, it was, but um, by the time uh, the second, the, the first kind of mod scene, it was in the uh, the late fifties to early sixties in the UK. A lot of people think. You know, mods kind of started in 1964, Brighton Beach, uh, punch-ups and all that kind of thing, but it didn't. It started in 1959 down in Soho. So by the time 64 rolled around, there was a lot of rivalry between the mods and the rockers in the UK. Um, Not so much in Ireland, but by the time the kind of second revival came around in 79 and through the 80s, it was mods and um, in the UK there were casuals. Uh, where I hear it was kind of trendy, you know, people who were just kind of normal run-of-the-mill blokes dressing, you know, in normal run-of-the-mill clothes, run-of-the-mill clothes and there was a lot of rivalry between the mods and those lads and, you know, there'd be fights down on the beach and, you know, in Bray and that kind of thing, you know. I was just a little bit too young to be getting involved in that kind of thing, you know. My mummy would have killed me. <laughs> Good man, Paul. You were the sensible type of mod. What about amphetamines? How big a part did they play in fueling, like, all-night dances and, you know, the scene itself? Um, in the 60s, it was quite, quite prevalent uh, throughout the scene um, because they were going to, uh, to a lot of 60s... Uh, sorry, a lot of... Um, all-night dances in London and, and surrounding areas. Um, so there was a lot of Drinamil and um, there was a lot of uh, Purple Hearts and kind of, you know, that kind of thing taken. And basically amphetamine speed. And there was a little bit of that. There would have been a little bit of that in the 80s, not so much as it would have been in the 60s. Um, but, I mean, th- there were very few all-nighters in uh, in the clubs in the 80s. So you didn't really have to take speed to kind of to stay awake. You know, you were, you know, what bubbles was A15 to 11.15. It was yes. just a teenage a teenage disco and we were on the last bus home. 
So, you know, some people did, some people didn't. I personally didn't myself. I didn't see the point, to be honest. Now, you know, talk about the book. The main character, Jules, and our group of friends are uh, finding themselves in life, growing up, attracted to the scene itself. And in the background, there's this dark char- character called Freddie Collins, a gangster, a drug lord. And he and his ways become entwined with the young people. It's it, it's an interesting uh, take on the whole thing back then, isn't it? Yeah, it's... um. Uh, you know, and it kind of, kind of, it kind of feeds into the um, the, the the drug aspect of it, yeah. um, which I've kind of overplayed a little bit in the in the book. You know, it was around, but it wasn't. You know, not everybody was doing it. But um, the, one of the characters, the main character, Robbo, gets tricked into selling uh, speed for um, amphetamines for the drug lord, and uh, you know, one night he's going to give him money, and he loses all the money that he has to give the the drug lord and Freddie Collins just goes mental and he's feeling totally disrespected and what have you and he goes off and he's uh, he's on a, a mission to get rid of every, every one of them you know Robbo mm. and all his mates and you know they're all just trying to get through the few days and, and you know try to survive and, and see what happens you know Yeah and a, a forerunner to the awful um, you know situations we've seen in Limerick and Dublin and here in the Drogheda area in more recent times as well but you know you had that spectre of uh, the drug baron in the background with young people drawn in and affected as well there are real uh, parallels there tell me about the scene today you know you work as a DJ you're well familiar with this are mods still alive and well Oh yeah, um, we're just a lot older now. Um, <laughs> and it was, uh, I run a club in well, obviously twenty twenty kind of uh, put a sock in it for us all. Um, with yeah. COVID, and uh, in in two thousand and ten, I I did a, a, a revival, a, a reunion of the Bubbles Mod Night, and um, I wasn't expecting very many people to turn up, and it was in the Grand Central in Dublin, and the place was packed. So people asked me to do it again the following month, and I was thinking, you know, if I if I do this every month, then it's not going to get the crowd in. So from then on, um, I started doing it every six months, and I get about 150 people, you know, in every time. And it's um it's all mods from the old days. Uh, some younger people came along and and joined in as well, but it's mostly people kind of in their 50s, and you know. 40s and 50s that come along and they just they'll dress up to the nines and dress in all the mod clothes and and have a good time and dancing. Ah, oh, fantastic. It really is to, good to hear that it is alive and well and people are, are still into it big time and I'm sure it's, it's a fashion and a trend that will come back again down the road with with another generation. Look, before we finish, I say well done to you again. You're onto something special here and especially with a publisher hovering around. They see the benefit in it now. Maybe they're a bit late uh, to capitalise. How can people get hold of this book on Amazon? Just tell us. Well, if you just if you go onto Amazon and in the uh, the search bar, just type in Paul Davis out of time, uh, you'll find it. And um, in a couple of weeks, uh, Academy Books in Southgate, they're going to have a few signed copies in as well. So but, uh, it's also available uh, in the book depository if uh, people don't want to go through Amazon. But, you know, just type in my name and out of time and you'll find it. 
Out of that, time, Paul yeah. Davis. Yeah. Well and done that's, to that's you. Dave, and that's Davis without the E. A lot of people make yeah. that mistake. Yeah. D-A-V-I-S, just to that's get that right. Yes, Paul Davis. Well done to you, Paul. We're out of time now, but we're going to finish going back to the era we've been talking about, the mods. Here's the jam, and it's sound called Malice. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, the jam and malice on late lunch this afternoon. Fantastic song. It really, really is. And it'd get you up and dancing around the place, wouldn't it? Anyway, news coming through to us said that the financial cost of COVID, we have all known that the financial cost will be significant. Uh, the state was expecting to announce a surplus of $1.4 billion for the year. Um, it's going to be a $19 billion deficit. That is some difference, isn't it? No surprise, though, really, uh, with the uh, amount of money that the government has had to pump into the economy and into uh, people and uh, keeping things afloat. And well done to them for doing it. I have to say it's uh, it's been really, really positive. And um, an update on the schools, all primary and secondary schools are to remain closed until January 31st. So there you are, the full month of January, schools out for winter instead of schools out for summer. Remember that one? Out for winter, out until the 31st of January and move to uh, remote learning until then. And there will be provision for special education and the disability sector to be finalised. That's very, very important. We're going to hear more about all of that on our news here on LMFM Radio at three o'clock. But it's time for short break to pay the bills. We have to pay them here, yeah. School's out till the end of January, just telling you that there a moment ago. So what to do with your children while they're out? People are working at home, uh, work to be done. A lot of people based at home or will have to be based at home as well for the next number of weeks. It was a little different, wasn't it? I'm just thinking uh, last time we had the lockdown because we had a lovely spring. The spring of 2020 into early summer was gorgeous and there was lots to be done outdoors. It's quite different in the middle of winter. It really is uh, with shorter days, colder weather. Look at the snap that we're in at the moment and uh, if you get them out you really do have to wrap them up as well well to keep them uh, safe and well and from uh, catching cold which you don't want to catch or flu or anything like that at this time of the year with the COVID around but I think it'll call for a lot of great and fantastic uh, really you know creativity in, in, in our homes I have one thing you could do with them and this is one thing I would suggest today just off the cuff if they don't know how to cook or prepare meals or bake this is a great opportunity to teach your children life skills at home. I really mean that. Indoor life skills. And cooking is a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. And I just think there's Tara Walker in East Coast Cookery School, great friend of Late Lunch, offering classes, uh, online classes in cookery. Um, she's I saw her last night online offering these uh, across the board to people, uh, to children being off at this time. Wonderful resource to tip into there with Tara Walker at East Coast Cookery School. That's just one example. But you can teach them yourself. I remember myself when uh, a few months ago when I got married first, I couldn't even boil an egg, to be honest with you. But I got hold of Delia Smith's cookery books. I think I may have told you this before, and I still have them. Part one, two and three, and they're used inside out. And I taught myself, I really did. I taught myself how to do a few little bits and pieces, and it grew from there. And, you know, there's nothing greater than the satisfaction of taking a few ingredients and whipping up a little meal for yourself or for others in your household. Is there? Go on. This is a great opportunity. Get cooking. That's my suggestion for the lockdown anyway. 
You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you so much, Morris. Morris has been in touch with me from Navin. I mentioned earlier on that we had a listener wondering what they should do with a cheque that they had in their possession. Morris says, cheques, Jerry, don't have an expiry date. However, it is common banking practice to reject cheques that are over six months old to protect the person who has written the cheque in case the payment has been made in another way or the cheque has been lost or stolen. Very good indeed. Great information there. Appreciated, Morris. So there you are, cheque holder. Need to get cracking with that cheque. Six months is the time frame uh, of the cheque and you need to get it cashed or uh, lodged within that period of time. Now it's time for my featured artists of the week. I'm going to do this every week this year, around about this time on the show, and I picked the Bee Gees as my featured artist this week, and it may be an artist or artiste. Uh, and the reason I do is because there's a wonderful documentary. I'll mention it to you again. It's called How Do You Mend a Broken Heart, which is one of the wonderful songs. That's the name of the documentary, and it's showing at the moment on Sky there if you check it out. And it's about the Bee Gees from growing up in the UK, moving to Australia as young lads, and then how success came their way round about the time of the Beatles as well. Back to England, they came and on to America. And of course, the rest is history. Now, my track from the Bee Gees today was released on my birthday, the 7th of September. Yes, it was released on the 7th of September, 1968. And it was the Bee Gees' second UK number one single. And it was the first time they broke the top 10 in America with this one. It's brilliant. I love it. I've just got to get a message to you. Yes, for you on late lunch today. Here's the Bee Gees. And I've just got to get a message to you. Another of their classic songs. Yes, they're my featured artists on Late Lunch this week. And we'll have another one from the Bee Gees tomorrow, round about the same time. If you'd like a Bee Gees song, you can send me a message. If you love a Bee Gees song in particular, 086-1800-658, drop in a message. You never know. I might just pick one for you. I have uh, three more in mind myself, but you could influence me if you really wanted to. Now, Hilary Lynch has been on to me. Hello, Hilary. Uh, she says that in her garden, I mentioned feeding the birds earlier on, so important in this cold weather. She has not one, but six robins and two beautiful grey doves and all the rest besides. And she goes on to say, Jerry, I know you're talking about rodents on the show this afternoon. I haven't seen any rodents about my garden, even though I am feeding the boards. And yes, we are going to be talking about a big jump in the numbers of mice and rats around our homes in the last 12 months after this break. I was reading in the uh, weekend newspapers and it alarmed me to uh, consider this. Rodents have been on the rise during the pandemic and it's reckoned that up to 20%, uh, a 20% increase has been seen in infestations around our homes and gardens since the pandemic struck last March. And to talk more about this to me is a man who knows the situation. His name is Richard Faulkner and he's a field consultant with Rent-A-Kill. Good afternoon, Richard. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much for joining me. Why this increase? What are the reasons behind it? So, as, as you said, the, the, the pandemic and the lockdowns have had quite a different impact on our environment, um, but, and also sort of our social behaviour and stuff. So, for a start, we're all at home more. Um, a lot of us are now working from home instead of offices and buildings, so we're in our home environment more. Um, so those periods would have been quieter. Um, we wouldn't have been aware 
of any sort of pests that were in environment, rodents or otherwise. So we're now more um, aware of that because we're more aware of our environment from being there. Um, the other thing with the lockdown as well, because we weren't out and about as much, we weren't in parks, we weren't in local areas, um, a lot of food waste and stuff wasn't getting provided or um, put into that environment either. So the animals have been moving closer in. Okay, so the other thing is, you're saying because we're about our house more, we're more aware of what's going on, and that makes yeah. sense for sure because we are spending more time. Yeah. And there'd be naturally there'd be more domestic waste, and as you say, taking bread to feed birds in parks and that that is now round the home or in bins in the proximity of a home as well. So this all attracts. And then on top of that, at the start of the pandemic as well, at the very beginning, we had all the panic buying, so you had a lot more food being stockpiled being kept yeah. in the house that wouldn't have been before. And as you said, it would have created a lot more food waste. And then it goes back to the thing people would have been probably going back to feeding birds and pets and stuff like that. That would have been done a lot more in your local environment as in your gardens instead of going to parks or lakes or ponds and doing it. So yes. That would have definitely had an impact as well. And then, like me, you'd have been a lot of people have been bored and would have been disturbing areas of their garden and moving stuff and rearranging stuff that they probably haven't done for a, a good while, which has also disturbed things that were there that we didn't know were there. Yes, they like the habitat that's uh, well established and they've had cover on that. And you're right, the garden cleanups have also contributed as well. The other thing you'd have to say, with the closure of pubs, cafes and restaurants, there would have been food sources. Now, I'm not saying that pubs, cafes or restaurants were infested with mice or anything like that. I really ain't saying that. But you know what I'm saying? Those environments exactly. are not there where rodents would have got food in the past. No, exactly. Because the waste that was created by them, again, would have been an attractant, so it would have been out around there been areas and stuff like that and it'd be the same in in when we weren't allowed to go to parks or to the beach or anything like that the public waste bins would have been pretty much an empty food resource that would have gone as well and we sort okay. of saw that too with the way bird behavior changed and we got a lot more birds moving in to sort of more um urban and semi-urban areas than they would have done yes. before as well yeah, the gulls, you'll definitely see more of them, even though it has been a problem previous to this, but it's even exasperated now. So yeah. here's the thing, they're, they're in. We have more mice in our homes. There are rats lurking about. What's your advice to people today? There are many ways, of course, give rent a kill a shout, but in a few tips for people. I'll, I'll read a message. Here's the message. Listen to this that's just come to me, okay? Uh, Marie is listening into the show. She lives in a two-story uh, detached, attached house, two-story attached house, and she's plagued by mice in her our attic. Our husband is looking after it, thank God, and they're catching about three or four a day. Uh, they are not in the main house itself, but in the attic. Maria would like to know, is there anything she can do to detect where they're coming from into the attic? And is this a normal thing at this time of the year? Um, yeah, you will get mice in attics at this time of year. Again, we usually get them moving in around September when it starts to get colder. We've had a nice good cold spell now and you've got loads of lovely insulation up in your attics. Um, depending on the type of build, um, you're going to have a lot of cavity spaces um, and they're going to be moving from those, but they're going to have come in from ground level unless they've come above from the other house. So you're going to have to take, if it's semi-detached, you usually take the two houses as a block because yeah. it's a one build. Um, but they're, they're usually coming low. They're usually going to come around around services so it's usually going to be around piping or cabling um again with with house mice or field mice they need a very small gap to get in anything more 
than five millimeters in circumference. And so it's really going around looking at your pipes, looking at the bases of your doors, looking at waste pipes and stuff where they go out. Um, if you've had cable or anything like that put in, um, just making sure those gaps externally are sealed. Okay, so that is the first point to call on the ground to check around the access points yes. to your house and make sure there are no gaps whatsoever and that's going to be a big help for sure. Now, if you have yes. them in, um, are you a fan of trapping, laying bait for them or what? See, again, each situation is different. Um, but early in the first lockdown, we, got a, we had the mouse in the kitchen, which I think was because a back door got left open. It was a field mouse. And it got in behind the washing machine. Um, that was caught with a trap. Um, if I had a lot of mice activity up in an attic, I would probably look at putting down bait. Um, because, again, if they're up in an attic, there's no real food source up for them, um, unless you're storing stuff up there that might have seeds or something like that. Richard, um, the one the nice. one downside, the one downside of the bait, I'll have to say to you, is that it will get them. But then as the weather warms up, you can often get a little stink from Some the walls. Or... You can do it. If, if they're up in up in an attic, um, probably very unlikely, just because you'll get the hot air rising, the heat, it will probably dry them up and then more than mummify. But yeah, it, it's a possibility that if something tastes poison, it can die, um, and sometimes in an area where you can't find it, or it's hard to find, you might get a smell. That's yeah, and it goes with the territory, but you just have to accept that anyway. That is yeah. a part and parcel of actually <laughs> eliminating. Yeah, a dead one's yeah. less than a risk than a live one, so you're not going to get Sure it. thing, it sure thing. You mentioned right. something very important there, leaving windows and doors open, even though we're being asked to ventilate our homes at the moment. Yeah. It's an invitation for them, isn't it, as well, to just yeah. scoot in? Definitely, and, and that's the thing. Um, and, and we're all guilty of it, especially when the weather's nicer, which at the moment is not. If you leave the door open, it, it's a bit Baltic, isn't it? But um, certainly during the first lockdown, we, when we had the really nice weather, um, the doors would be open. I was leaving the doors open all the time, which is probably how my offender got in the house. And, and it's that, but as you said, going back to clearing stuff and keeping stuff tidy, if we cut back all our vegetation, if we move our bins, so a lot of people keep the bins near the back door of the kitchen or the back door of the house just because it's easier to put rubbish out. Whereas if we move as far away from our doors, we're moving the attraction point further away. So yeah. it's small things like that. Make sure we keep our doors and windows shut when not in use. Make sure all our holes, especially lower level, are sealed. But again, sometimes, especially with mice, rough surfaces, or if you've got um, wisteria or any sort of creepers, on your house, they can climb those as well. So it's just making sure that we keep everything as hostile as possible, take away external food sources, keep attractions away from the building, make sure our building's sealed and keep our windows and doors shut where possible. That is really good advice. Just before we finish up, a couple of things. We've been talking about feeding the birds. That is certainly, if you ground feed, it will attract rats. I've seen it myself in the past. And what about compost bins? I compost all my stuff here and there because I love my garden. But compost bins, I had a visitor last year. They will attract rats. They can do, yeah. It's especially when you're putting some decent vegetable waste in there, it's going to be an attractant. Um, also, what we found, I found a good few times I've gone out and had to look at wasp nests for people, and they do like a, a good compost bin when it's reasonably dry because it's got nice heat in it and they can build a nice nest structure inside it, so that can happen as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's an area to keep a good eye on. But again, if you have them around compost bins, you would lay bait for them? 
Um, again, <laughs> we would do, but we'd have to make sure the bait was in secure bait boxes so that no non-target animals could get to it. And again, if yes. you've got pets or children, it's another consideration. That's, again, why when we go out, we say it's something that's best for us to do because we can do a proper environmental risk assessment, see what else is there and present, and make sure that if we are using a bait that it's done safely and it's not going to affect the environment or non-target animals such as pets or even that children could get to it. Uh, Helen's just been on to say I was sitting in the utility last night and the window was open. Next thing, in walks a mouse. As brazen as you like, Jerry. It was some crack chasing him and catching him. He went out the window quicker than he came in. Well done to you, Helen. There you are. Helen was on the ball quickly. Most other people would just run a mile when they'd see a mice, Helen. I have to give you the award on late lunch this afternoon for bravery, that's for sure. Anyway, uh, look, Richard, rent or kill are the experts in the field. And if you have a proliferation of mice or you're worried about rats or rodents of any sort, you are the people to give a shout to. You're uh, nationwide. Yeah, we are. We've got a, a website, which is www.rentkill.ie, or you can free call us on 1890 And uh, Richard, that's a give advice. Thank you so much. Wish you uh, good luck with your work. You're continuing good work. Thanks a million for joining me on the happy, show. Take care of yourself. Yeah, thank you. Many happy returns. Richard Faulkner, their field consultant with Rent or Kill. That's almost a lot on late lunch uh, for this Tuesday afternoon. I remember just before we finished, my late father, Brendan, and we had a garden. We live in a terrace house, but the gardens were backed onto a pretty wild area and we had greyhounds and there was always legs of beef and everything hanging about. And of course, there were rats, uh, but we had a great little ratter called Susie, a little terrier dog, and she was brilliant. But he used to trap them in a cage. And then they'd be dunked into a barrel of water. And that was the end of Mr. Rat-tat-tat. Yes, it was the way years ago, but it worked. Anyway, see you tomorrow. Eddie Caffrey coming next. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda and Dundalk. Our Dacia 211 pre-order sale is now on. Test drive a brand new Dacia today. Fantastic APR, no deposit and deferred monthly payments. Check out blackstonemotors.ie for details on our amazing new car offers. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. 